0: This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student well-being, character development, and academic improvement. Welcome to The Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. We hope that you're enjoying the conversations that we're bringing to you of prominent Christians who have been able to bring their faith into the practice of their business life and their professional life. This morning, we welcome Mr. Stephen O'Doherty behind the, the microphone. Mr. O'Doherty started work as a journalist and a broadcaster, firstly in radio and then into other areas of the media. He was elected to parliament in 1992, served on the front bench as uh, in the portfolios of education and community services, and was shadow treasurer before making another change in career. In 2002, Stephen became the inaugural CEO of Christian Schools Australia, a national peak body representing schools of independent faith, and uh, stepped away from that back into the area of Christian media. He now is the chairman of... Uh, the Hope Media, the not-profit organisation that operates Hope 103.2 in Sydney and other radio stations in other capital cities. Also been heavily involved in music through his career. Uh, Stephen, it's absolutely delightful to welcome you to our podcast. How are you doing?
1: How wonderful to catch up with you again, my dear friend Brendan.
0: Thank you. It's uh, it's great to see you too. Um, that's a busy life that you've lived, Stephen. It's taken you into some very varied and diverse backgrounds, was there was, was there any one of those that stood out to you as your sweet spot?
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me, was there any planning involved? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the answer to that was, is that um, if there was any planning that was involved, it was on God's part, not mine. Yeah. Oh, gee, the sweet spots, Brendan, there have been so many in, in a way. Um, I was just reflecting the other day through all of the things that I've done, There have been two constants, I think, and the first constant, well, since I developed a faith, since I came to faith in my mid-twenties, the constant has been my, um, my faith in God, my love of God, my desire to follow Jesus. The second constant all the way through my life has been music, and without those two things, I think I would have been lost. Mm. Uh, in a way, so you know that's that's an encouragement to find the sweet spot. When I was just leaving school, I, I felt that I had two choices, uh, and I thought they they were bifurcating. That is, they could go one way or the other, but not both. And I remember thinking it through. I I loved the idea of of continuing in music. I was a very active musician at school, and I wanted to continue doing that. And the second was this just burning passion to be on radio, <laughs> to be a radio broadcaster. And weighing those two things up, I, I felt I could probably do music as a hobby but mm. um, develop broadcasting as a career. And both of those things have turned out to be true. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and so, I mean, the encouragement there, I think, Brendan, people listening to us now is um, find the thing that you're passionate about and make decisions consistent with allowing God to use those talents that he's given you in those areas. You, you may not acknowledge him in your life. I certainly didn't when I was making these big decisions in my um, late teens, early 20s. But um, but nevertheless, that's a good way to go. He's made you in a certain way, whether you acknowledge him or not. You know, you're made in a certain way. And if mm. you can follow those passions, you've got to be realistic. I was never going to be a an astronaut, I don't mm. know, I can't stand heights, and I get uh, seasick. So I'm never going to be an astronaut, but um, even if I was passionate about it, you've got to be mm. realistic. But I did have skills for communication. I did have skills for music, and I was able to build both of those into not just a, a not just a career, but into a way of life, into mm. a, a way of being that kept me centered and grounded. Mm.
0: That's interesting. I, I'd love to come back to that notion of the difference or the qualification of a career and a way of being in the world—that's that's a great point. I'll visit again. You, you spoke about having an early awareness of these two dimensions of your of your makeup, music and communication. What what were the things that were happening for you as a young guy that made you aware these were your areas of talent or, or ability?
1: Uh, well. <clears throat> At school, I I suppose, in a way, um, it's a good question, Brendan. I'm glad you've asked it because you don't get to dwell on these things very often other than in the hands of a careful listener like you. Um, At school, looking back, I think teachers and my parents, absolutely certainly my parents, encouraged me in those things where they could see I had had, uh, a passion. So uh, it seems to me that I was always in some form or another Given upfront roles at school. I was very mm. often a, a class leader or a school leader or on the school council, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, I, uh, Dad took me to Toastmasters,
2: mm.
1: an organization that, <clears throat> and still exists today, that helps people to understand um, not just how to make speeches or how to be a public speaker, but it actually teaches people uh, meeting procedure, how to chair a meeting. It's very useful mm. for people who go into business. Uh, and I've caught up with Toastmasters clubs over the years. I was never a member, but Dad took me along when he went, mm. and that was really interesting. I really enjoyed the the ad-lib um, <clears throat> competitions um, and went in a number of speech competitions. You say that and people go, oh, really? For me, you know, this was absolutely petrified going on the stage and being given a topic five minutes beforehand and and asked to make an ad-lib speech for five minutes about it. Absolutely terrified. But what an exhilarating experience mm. when it comes off. Mm. And the same thing with music. I mm. had been encouraged as a musician at school. At some stage in year five, bizarrely, I don't know, we had a, an older teacher, a much older man, who was into voice-speaking choirs. And these, this is a whole choir of people that just sorry, speak through a poem. <clears throat> the Highwayman by Alfred Noyes. And he would stand at the front and he would, he would conduct. <laughs> the, the, the class speaking a poem and I must have mimicked him mm. um, in a good way because then he said to me oh come and conduct this one Stephen so I conducted year five wow. in this poem well, well I mean the irony of that is that years later in fact from the age of about 15 I started conducting concert bands I was yes. playing in a concert band someone having given me a clarinet and said here play this and I conduct bands to this very day. Yes, and it's a long time ago, Brendan. Yeah,
0: oh, well, <laughs> longer than we might be comfortable with, but uh, still fresh in the memory, it seems, <laughs>
1: Stephen. That's I'm, I'm wearing it. I'm owning it.
0: it. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> just put my hand up. Also, the the idea that obviously you had this natural ability with with words, but your inclination was to the spoken word rather than the written word. Is that? Do you see a difference between Th- those forms of, of verbal communication, speaking and writing, or, or are they just variations of the
1: one yeah, thing? Yeah, absolutely, of course. Yes, you've got to find your voice, and if you're writing for yourself in the first person, you have to find your written voice, and you have to always uh, and, and if you're speaking, you need to find your authentic spoken voice. Uh, in passing, if you're a student of writing, if you're writing for somebody else let's say you're writing a speech for someone else to deliver, um, or if you're writing a narrative in a third person, find their voice, their authentic voice. Um, but always remember the listener. Mm. And the listener and the reader, uh, they may be the same person, but they're receiving what you're communicating in mm. a different way. Mm. I never, and I've always been the same, I never write or speak without hearing the imaginary voice of the person who's receiving the message.
2: Mm.
1: Now that, that sounds a little crazy uh, perhaps, but it's not at all crazy. It, it, it is the primary skill of public speaking yeah. to be able to stand in front of an audience uh, and look them in the eye and hear what they're saying to you in their head. Yes. And you're picking up, you know, when you can see the audience, you're picking up all those yeah. nonverbal cues <laughs> Whether or not they throw things at you, you know, you get to know when they're not really receiving your message. Um, I was addressing a, a political meeting once in a school full of uh, teachers, education, unionists. It was a public school. And um, the opposition, I was the shadow minister for education at the time and a liberal. And they didn't like the liberals very much in those days because of something that happened <clears throat> well before I was in the parliament. The cherry Mether or Years, you'll remember those. I do. Brendan. And at the back of the room, people were hissing. And I just remember thinking, that's, that's just so juvenile and uncouth, you know? If you want to disagree, just say I disagree, but don't stand at the back of the room going, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> So I actually called them out on it. I said, I can hear you hissing up the back. Well, you know, what's your problem? Let me, let me address what I think is your issue. Now, when you understand someone else's argument, you can address what they're thinking. Communication is not just saying something, mm. but if that's something being received, if mm. it hasn't been received in the way you intended, then you've not communicated what well, you've communicated, but not what you wanted to communicate. Yes,
0: yes. that's good. Yeah, so the, the when you're talking about hearing, hearing the audience, hearing the receptor, that's what you're conscious of doing. What is this evoking in their understanding, in the audience's understanding? Yeah. Yeah, that's good.
1: And if you can touch that point, or um, then, of course, you can. You can go the next. The next level is to say, "What I want to evoke is yeah. sympathy, understanding, knowledge." Decide what's the purpose of this yes. piece of communication. For me, often it's encouragement. Actually, I'm. Yes. It just seems over the years the things I've been asked to do have often been an encouragement. Especially as a member of parliament, you go into um, a situation where people want you to address them. And they don't want to know about you. What they want you to say is, I can't imagine what it's been like this past six months when you faced this yeah. terrible situation of bushfire, flood, your parents dying. I can't imagine what that's like, but um, all I can say is whatever you're feeling at the moment, I, I just, I want to stand with you in the silence. Yes. And acknowledge the pain you're going. You know, find yes. a way to reach and suddenly you're with they're with you because they know that you're compassionate about them. Now here's the thing, you I don't think you can fake compassion. Mm. Some very skilled people might be able to, but you can usually see through it. Mm. And I don't think I would have ever been I don't I wouldn't have been a Member of Parliament but for the fact that I became a Christian. I don't think I would have been a very skilled radio broadcaster, but for the fact that I became a Christian. Um, and people used to talk of me as, as being a radio broadcaster that had real warmth and empathy, mm. as well as being pretty tough as an interviewer. Um, but I don't think any of that really flowed. Well, I had an ability, which I now think God gave me, but it didn't really flow until I learned to understand myself in God's eyes, to let go of the normal fear you have as a person growing up in the world, wondering how other people are judging you, Mm. Um, and to process that through the lens of there's nothing that I can do that God won't Mm. forgive. And there is no fear that I can't face other than that he has already given me the ability to overcome. Mm. And especially that I now know who I am constructed to be Because I know who made me Mm. and what purpose he made me for. Mm.
0: Stephen, that's very profound. You can't
1: take compassion. I think you'll really find compassion when you understand the compassion God had for us.
0: You're also alluding, maybe even more than alluding, articulating um, a difference between communicating uh, um, uh, an an image, uh, a projection, and communicating from a sense of genuine, authentic self awareness, self-knowledge, and the profound difference between those things of trying to control what people are receiving of your personality, your identity, and the strength, the power that can come from relaxing into who God has made you to be. Has that been part of your experience?
1: Very much so, yes. Absolutely right, Brendan. Mm. You were the same if I may say, you communicate authentically who you are out of, out of your own um, sense of self and, a, and willingness to be real and authentic and vulnerable in front of people. But yes, one of the reasons I left politics was that it does really test
2: mm.
1: your um, uh, authenticity mm. in front of people. Because, yeah, I mean, part of the job then, especially if you're a shadow minister, you're a frontbencher, you're, you're selling the brand of elect us mm. next time. This mob, this mob is hopeless, elect us next time. But the experience of politics has been played very tribally in Australia. Yes. Our tribe is always right, their tribe is always wrong. Everything they do is wrong, it has to be wrong. It's all the government's fault. Mm. <laughs> um, this, my kids used to have this saying when they were very little, I left politics when. Our oldest was still um, I just uh, in middle school. Mm. So, you know, but they, so they used to run around the house knowing exactly what it was that, that I uh, would say. Oh, it's all the government's fault. We used to run around and say, blah, 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 it's all the government's fault. Blah, 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 it's all the government's fault. And that's the message you have to sell. Well, I was talking about authenticity. Mm. If that's not actually true, then you can't sell it. Yes, yes,
2: you know? I understand.
1: You can't fatten the pig on mar- market day. Mm. One of the great doyens of the Liberal Party, a true gentleman, an, an extraordinary academic, a lovely gentleman with incredible principles. <clears throat> Sir John Carrick.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: his his great saying was, "You can't fatten the pig on market day." Yeah, I hadn't heard
0: that before. <laughs> no, <you can't. laughs> I get what it's saying. <laughs> you
1: can't. Uh, John Howard built, used it all the time as well. You know, no use turning up on the day and saying, here we are, we're so much better than the other lot. Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: you've got to build your credibility and your credentials. And so particularly when I was in it, oh, well, in all the portfolios they hold, really, but I think I, the portfolio I spend most time in was education. Mm. And so talking to audiences of teachers and parents, you know, they're very, very knowledgeable about what is going on in their world. Mm. And um, you can't just turn up and say, yep, I'm, I'm now the great expert. What you have yeah. to do is listen. Yeah. And then you have to go back and – so if I spoke about education in the 6 a.m. morning news calls, people don't know what they are. Mostly the ministers or shadow ministers' story for that day would start at five thirty, six o'clock. The media would ring them or they would ring the media. And you'd often say – Hi, uh, it's Stephen O'Doherty here. I've got uh, an angle for you on that story on the front page of the Herald, or blah blah blah. Um, are you ready? They go rolling, <laughs> and you give them your thirty seconds. You go, you got that? And they go, yep. You go, oh, have a nice day, thanks. Bing. Then it's on to the next one. Hello. Wow. So, but you've got to when you're doing it when it's that pressure when it's on yeah. every day when it's every minute you're off. Georgina laughed at me because she said, "I can remember you." um, Fast asleep, the phone rang before six. Um, you picked up the phone, sat on the edge of the bed, and went, It's all the government's fault. <laughs> Got it? Thanks, bye. She said, And then you went back to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when you're on that, on, on, you actually have to know, you have yeah. to own it. Yeah. And you can't own knowledge of a thing without asking the people involved in the thing. Yeah. So authenticity comes from a really genuine heart in getting to know people and like people and, yeah. <clears throat> and hear their concerns. and yeah. yeah. Then you get to process. because You get conflicting advice. You've got to process and weigh things and that's when judgment comes in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. At a certain point, you've got to find the judgment point where you develop your own voice. But yes. it's informed by the others you've heard. Indeed. And you've got to really love people. I was asked once, Brendan, to... Um, when I was a very young Christian um, and in that time still in radio broadcasting I was asked to go and address um, a council of bishops I won't say where or or which but a council of bishops that were doing a workshop on communication skills which I thought was very interesting (laughs) you're a bishop now you better learn about communicating with it was their their life (laughs) (laughs) Um, and one of them looked at me and said how do you But how do you deal with really difficult people, people who you just, you know, and I looked at them, I said, I just think you've got to love them.
0: Yeah, great answer. Yeah, great answer. That's a beautiful thing. Stephen, let me ask you how you you mentioned a little earlier that you don't think you would have gone into some of the careers that you did and you certainly wouldn't have been as uh, effective in them either broadcasting or as a parliamentarian, if you hadn't become a Christian and that that happened in around your early mid twenties. Can, would you be willing to share with us how that happened? How did a a young guy with these gifts and interests and a commitment to a career, how did faith intrude into your life?
1: (laughs) Intrude is a very good word. Uh, (laughs) You've met my intrusion because I'm married to her now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and have been for 30 plus years. Yeah. I, if you'd known me in my early 20s, which thankfully you didn't, um, I was a young man in a hurry. <clears throat> I'd been given very early success. Mm. Um, so by the age of, in my early 20s, I was given the opportunity to host uh, the drive time program on 2GB. Mm. Um, and I'd started in Sydney radio at the age of 20 as a cadet journalist at another radio station, moved across to 2GB to be in their newsroom, and within 12 months they'd asked me to take on the drive time shift. Which is like the, the on, prime spot, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. The sort of thing you would hope to do by the time you're in your mid-30s or 40s. Yeah. Um, and yet here I was, and not only that, <clears throat> the station had become Australia's first news talk station.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we don't, no, I suppose we have stations a bit like that today. It was it was part personality, let's say, shock jock, <laughs> well, us not, and a lot of good journalism behind it. So yes. a really solid newsroom. Yes. The investment that Fairfax, who owned 2GB, then made into journalism at in radio was extraordinary mm. I, I doubt we'll see it again in commercial radio so we had a, a huge newsroom a well credentialed newsroom Macquarie National News meant something I was yes, yes. I grieved um, when in the very recent times because of the takeover by nine they ditched the name Macquarie National News mm. that name had been around since the, the early part of the of the 20th century right the first half of the 20th century. Macquarie National News meant something. Now it doesn't exist anymore. Sad. Um, But they had Macquarie National News and they had a current affairs team.
2: Yeah.
1: And the current affairs team was involved in doing two half-hour shows, 12.30 report, 5.30 report. And then that grew into a thing called the Sundown Rundown, which I hosted. Yes, yes. I also hosted the 12.30 report, a national program, yeah. So the Sundown Rundown was all talk. Now, we didn't play any music at all, at all, not a single track. First station in the country to do so and it was all about journalism it was going to be all about talk, news current affairs opinion lots of people ringing in lots of ringing out yeah. to get interviews directly yeah. with the newsmakers and our metric was to write the stories that would be in the paper the next day on the radio that afternoon which we did time and time and time again um we had people everywhere It was just a fantastic mm, experience wonderful experience yeah. and this was me in my 20s so i um And I was, you know, you've got to be pretty, you've got to try to be fairly out there and a bit um, self-assured. Well, Mm. very self-assured. But so you invest like a lot of young men and women, I suppose, and maybe a lot of older ones too. You invest in your own importance Mm. and maintaining your importance, image, prestige, uh, money, big toys, cars. Um, lifestyle, mm. long lunches. <laughs> maintaining that is part of maintaining your self-worth. Um, but in my 20s, a long, long-term long relationship broke down and I was pretty devastated by that. And then the ratings had gone up they were going down again. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an industry in which people are very often, especially at that level, um, are very often uh, – vulnerable to yes. people knocking them off. The phrase don't take a holiday in radio yes. um, is a true maxim because when you come back, they will have given you a job to someone else. So you flog yourself to death. You invest in yourself. When things take a downturn and all of that, the fabulous career and the relationships fall down, what, what's left? Mm. Well, for me, it was an empty shell. Mm. That was the first midlife crisis. There have been a couple of others. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pretty passe these days no, I, don't, I won't make light of it Brendan but I once said to a group of people actually it was a group of teachers in Queensland I had just a couple of thousand teachers in Queensland once and um, I just I was in a really depressed state that day because of things that were going on i looked out of this audience and I said to them thank goodness you're in Christian education because whatever else you teach these kids You know they've got to know that there will be crises in their life. There Mm. will be down days. There will be days when they don't they don't know where the strength will come from to take the next breath.
2: Mm.
1: But if you teach them, and you can teach them math, science, English, all those things matter. Yeah, they matter. But if they leave school knowing this, God loves them. Mm. He's made them for a purpose he cares, he sees them, mm. and that you see them too. I think mm. if, if they leave school knowing that, then that might be the most significant thing you ever do for these kids. Mm. And I still think that's true. Okay. And so uh, I was there in my 20s. And then God, um, by the grace of God, I met and started to fall in love with Georgina. Mm. We both played music together in a band, and that that was uh, an opportunity for us to see each other, mm. to meet. And and one day I remember I just really I saw her. Mm. I'd known her. But yeah, I, yeah. One day I saw her the first time. You know what, that, yeah. you know what that's like? You just see something. Yeah. And um, the, the funny thing about her though, Brendan, she was finalizing her PhD in science.
2: Mm.
1: It didn't conform to any of the norms that I had for Christians.
2: Mm.
1: I didn't think a Christian could be a scientist, for yeah. instance. Yeah. I'm sure you and your, your students encounter that all the time. And talk about what that what that's about, I yeah. know because you and I have talked about it. yeah. Um, so she didn't conform to that, and yet she was lovely, beautiful, yes. wonderful ha- skills. And the most extraordinary thing about her was um, she didn't care about me for any of these other things. Yeah, she actually was a listener to my show, but that wasn't.
2: yeah, yeah,
1: that wasn't thing. for some reason she started to love me for some other reason. yeah. And our relationship became personal and caring Mm. to the point where, because I was still at that stage, a very avowed atheist. Hmm. Did I mention that? No. Um, I grew up, I came out of my teenage years wanting nothing to do with God. Actually, I, I had decided the matter.
2: Wow.
1: You know, I was 20. I knew what was going on in the world. There was no God. Of course, there wasn't a God um i've settled it i'm 20 and i know everything Hmm. um and that never happens does it (laughs) that never happens so she challenged that she challenged everything just by getting through
2: Mm.
1: to my heart Mm. and for those listening on radio i'm I'm pointing now to my heart Mm. um And that was a conundrum. So it got to the point where our relationship was getting more serious and um, so serious that she was very concerned that she shouldn't be uh, setting herself up to spend her life with somebody who didn't share her first love, which which was Jesus Christ. Yes. And still is. Um, (laughs) So she said to me, um, after Bible study, she said, I've, painted going out to the car after Bible study. This was how intense the emotion was. And her Bible study friends, half of them were saying, don't see him ever again. And half of them were saying, yeah, yeah, try to get him to church. So there was a lot going on. They were praying. It was was a spiritual maelstrom. Mm. And I'm just in the center of it, unaware of most of it. So she rang me up and she said, I can't. I'm sorry, it was Friday, and, you know, what are you going to do on the weekend? No, I can't see you. Bear in mind, this was pre-internet,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram. This was telephone. This was yeah. pre-mobile phones. So uh, she said, I can't see you again. Ever. I said, oh, you yeah, look, that's okay. We'll talk about it tomorrow. She said, no, 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 you don't get it. I, can't ac- I don't want to be in the same room as you again. Ah. I can't speak to you again. I don't want to be with you again. Why, why not? This was devastating. Yeah. Well, she said, because I think that if I'm with you, I'm going to be tempted to um, give it all away, my faith in Jesus. That's how much I care about you. But I care about Jesus more. And I, she said, I remember her saying, this doesn't make any sense to me right now. Mm. All I know is that I've always trusted God and he's always come through for me. Mm. And I'm going to trust him on this occasion. And as hard as it seems, I think it's best that we don't see each other wow. again. Stephen. And I wish you well. You know, I'll pray for you, whatever. Oh, well, that was very difficult to hear, and um, in response, I did something that was unusual for an atheist, Um, I prayed to God, and I remember praying, dear God, so just imagine the scene, and you've got to imagine this, at that time, being young and ambitious, when they said, our breakfast announcer is is a way at the moment, can you do breakfast and drive time? Or maybe I offered, come to think of it, I probably offered. Um, We need you to do breakfast and drive time. Yes, I'll do it, whatever. I was doing the breakfast program, starting work at four. Um, I was getting off here at nine. I was going to a hotel in the city and sleeping for a few hours, coming back to the office and getting back on here at 4pm and getting off here at 7pm. And then going home, rinse and repeat, three weeks. And um, this came in the middle of that period. It was a Friday, and I had one shift left to do that, that week. And I'd just finished the breakfast program, and we had this phone call. So I ended up at the Southern Cross Hotel in the city, Goulburn Street, and supposed to be grabbing some sleep but i sat on the edge of the bed and i i looked through the drawer of the bed and there was gideon's bible wow bless them and i opened it up just randomly you know and um and when you haven't read the bible ever well at sunday school and you open up your bible and you go oh what is this where do you start so i put it down again and I met some Gideons once. They said you should have opened the front page. It's got all these Bible helps. <laughs> I said I didn't know that. So instead, I just put the God down. I put the Bible down. I went to the source, and I said, "Dear God, as you know, I don't believe in you." <laughs> what a statement, man! Oh man, as you know, I don't believe in you. So I'm talking to someone who I've said doesn't even exist. They're, you know. Prayer, that's rubbish. That's talking to no one. So I'm sitting on the edge of the bed saying to this no one who's not listening, as you know, I don't believe in you. But not only is he listening, but he's also all-powerful. Amazing. And I mean, in that moment, I've gone, I'm just in. I need help. Mm-hmm. Who else can I turn to? Yeah. No one else knows me. Yeah. Except maybe God, the God who doesn't exist. You know, I prayed for Georgina, actually. i didn't pray for me, I prayed for her. And it was a very odd moment in this work. It was so, I was glad there was no one else there. Mm. (laughs) And then the next day she rang me up. She said, oh, I've been talking to our minister about this situation. I said, oh, yeah, what did he say? She said, he said, bring him in for a chat. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and that seemed like a reasonable, because this kept, kept open the prospect of the relationship. <laughs> so I went to see the guy who was a listener to my program and just delighted in trying to inter- interview me. Oh, like wonderful. a tough line. If I could prove to you that God exists, would you, would you have to um, give up your, your avowed atheism? Well, you can't prove it. No, I didn't say that. If I could prove it, if yeah. it could be proven, would you have to go, well, of course I, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if it could be proven, but I can't. He said, all right, then you're not an atheist. You must be an agnostic. <laughs> so he's moved me, you know, <laughs> if you know the angle scale where we talk about people who are far away <laughs> yeah, and then come closer, he's moved me from a 12 to a seven right there in that, <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> oh, he was a delightful man. Silas Horton, his name was, and um So in settlement of this matter, I decided, I agreed that I would attend church and on a Sunday evening, the youth service, and Georgina found me a book of dots so that I could sing the songs. Being musicians, I felt very awkward standing in a church. What is that? Oh, I don't know any of it. I love music, but this wasn't exactly music as I knew it. This was very strange music with people singing. Um, And she found me the dots so I could sing. Sightseeing and that was I loved sightseeing, it's great, great discipline. Well that made me feel comfortable. Yeah. What's the thing, young woman? What's the thing, young man? That will help your partner who's unsaved yeah. feel comfortable yeah. when you take them to church. Find that thing. Yeah,
2: good. and
1: do that. Uh and careful stewardship on Silas's part. I eventually was able to accept Jesus as my saviour. Amazing. I stood forward after a communion service. At the end of every communion service, there was always that challenge that comes from Corinthians somewhere other. Um, It's Paul who says you need to leave everything, leave your baggage behind Mm. and step forward and be ready to take a new life, take on a new life, trusting only in God. And the movie The Mission had been on at that time. Jeremy Irons, a man with a lot of burdens, a priest sent into the mountains to evangelize a tribe of native Peruvians, I think. Um, He's carrying his armor. He'd been a soldier, hadn't he? And he's carrying his armor in a sack on his back and he's climbing up this, Jeremy Irons is climbing up this crevasse waterfall and at one point all of the armor in the sack falls and there's this wonderful shot of the armor Bang, 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 bang. As it goes down, the waterfall and disappears. These were his burdens being carried away. Yeah, yeah. I felt exactly like that, Brendan, wow. the night that I stood up and walked forward as an atheist. A public figure, a broadcaster, yeah. everybody in the audience, yeah. <laughs> congregation knew, stepped forward and took communion. Everyone Everyone's going, oh, oh isn't look, that, him. Isn't look that, at him. Yeah. Oh, isn't that the guy? Isn't that that guy? Extraordinary. And then afterwards, the minister came up to me and said, Oh, I noticed that you took communion tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? Yes, no, that's, that's, that's perfectly okay. Just wondering if you'd like to talk a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. A year or so later, 18 months later, I don't know, Georgina and I were married, and it was because God had remade me. Amen. I oh, was wonderful.
0: It's a beautiful story, Stephen, um, told beautifully. We got to that point by saying it was that decision that changed what you did, what, what moving from broadcast into Parliament and it changed the way you did Parliament. What were the things that you think were different? What, what changed about you being a broadcaster, being a public servant in the Parliament because of your faith?
1: It hadn't been my plan to go to parliament.
0: Right. <laughs> Why
1: would you want to do that? <laughs> Seriously?
0: So what prompted um, you? That? What, what, what brought that about?
1: Well, it was that. That's your, your question. Your question begs the answer. The fact was, I felt from the moment I became a Christian, I, I just had to work out what it was that God now wanted me to do. And I said to this minister and to Georgina, what should I do? Should I go and be a minister, uh, you know, missionary somewhere? Mm. And Silas very wisely said, well, what what were you when God called you? I said, well, I was a broadcaster. You know, I'm a broadcaster, Silas. So why can't you be a broadcaster for Christ? Mm. Why can't you be a Christian broadcaster? Mm. Uh, Well, yeah. But I understood that the worlds that I was living in were completely Mm. intersecting lines.
2: Mm.
1: They don't converge Mm. easily. I saw a documentary the other day about space. Apparently, parallel lines converge eventually in space. But you'd know about that as a Mm. science teacher. Mm. So um, anyway, the worlds of commercial media and Christianity don't converge easily. You generally keep your faith and your professional life in separate domains. At least that's what we're taught to believe. I now think, and I think this goes to a question you anticipated earlier. I, I think until you find your vocation, the, yes. the
0: yes. I spoke earlier about your
1: voice. Yes, vocation and voice are the same. Yes, aren't they? Is that right? Yes, that's right. It's the call upon yes, your life. Yes, that's right. Mm. It is. Voice and vocation are the same. And until you find that, you you don't know how to do the things you're, you're asked to do. Yes, you can be a broadcaster. You can be a journalist. You can be a scientist. Mathematician, you can be a clerk, you can be a carer, you can be a firefighter, you can be a father or mother. But until you've found the calling in those occupations, um, I think you'll struggle.
2: Mm.
1: You'll struggle, you'll have struggled anyway, but I think you'll struggle to understand what's at the center of it. So I had to work out then what could be at the center of being a broadcaster and also speak Christianly. Yes. And I, I tried doing that and I read some really good books and I asked everybody I knew, every Christian I knew who was in a profession, doctors, lawyers, lots of them, you know, about their profession. And some of them said, oh, it's just tent making. That's all it is. It's something you do um, to be in the world that yep. your real thing is to be in yep. souls. But I don't think that's enough. Yes. I've reached the age of 60. I'm bold enough to say it. I don't think that's enough. Mm. It's important. It's a very, very important thing. And as Christians, it is an essential aspect of our faith that we share it, Mm. that we want people to come to know God's saving grace through Jesus for themselves. So that's essential. Let's not get that wrong. But you also want to live in a way that makes a difference Christianly. Yes what do I mean by that, makes a difference in this world so that it becomes a little bit more easy for people to find Jesus. Yeah, that's good. So that it becomes a bit more easy for people to live the flourishing lives that God intended for us to have. In the beginning, he put us in a garden and he said, here's a beautiful place. I want you to tend this, look after it, care for it. And we forget that. We forget that it's about the tending, the caring, the mm. looking after and the enjoying mm. creation while we're still on this journey that eventually leads us to the kingdom of God itself once Jesus returns. But in the meantime, we can do a lot of things here. We need to do a lot of things here to make this world yes. a bit more like the kingdom of God that God has intended us to live in.
2: Yeah.
1: And Jesus says it all the time. He says, when you go into those towns of Miller, like, just talk to them about the kingdom of God. Tell them the kingdom is coming. Most of his stories, a lot of his stories, many of his stories are about this. What's the kingdom of God like? Mm. Oh, it's like a man who, finding your vocation and reflecting kingdom values in the world around us is also an essential aspect of the Christian life. And it took me a while to work that out. Um, I read some great books. There's a book called uh, Your Work Matters to God. Mm. It must have been published in the 1980s, which is when all the action takes place in this story some of it, um, it's on my shelf there. So maybe Doug Sherman um, and someone called Hicks. Sherman and Hicks, your work matters to God. The title alone is enough to arrest you. Mm. Oh, what I do matters to, why is that? Mm. Well, because he's made you, he's giving you jobs to do, mm. he's giving you work, and, and when I say work, I don't mean paid work, it could be volunteer work. Um, he's giving you things to do that are going to glorify him because you'll do them in the right spirit Mm. by loving others and looking for their welfare, not your own welfare, Mm. and by trying to make the world a little better Mm. along the way. And that will bring you pleasure Mm. because God wants us to do work that pleasures us. Mm. He wants us to thrive and flourish. He doesn't want us to, you know, suffer. We will suffer, and when we suffer because of our faith, you know we, know, we know that goes with faith. And you'll, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be laughed at, you'll be disagreed with, you'll be pilloried, maybe. Mm. But on other occasions, people will come up to you as they've, and, I, and I've been all of those things, on Twitter and elsewhere. But um, other people will come up to you sometimes, strangers, and they'll say, as they did the other day, I oh, saw you on the drum the other night. Mm. You know, I always go, yes. <laughs> because often it's... <laughs> saw you on the drum the other night. Yes. Oh, just want to say thank you. Yeah, nice. You speak common sense. Yes. You speak for us. You said some good things. And you realize there are all of these people, Christians, non-Christians. Brendan, I think everybody is drawn instinctively and naturally to the way of God. Yes, very few people are purely evil, wouldn't you say? Yes. Most people understand love is better than hate. Yes. And all the other things that go along with it. Well, let's just go with that one. Most people would rather be loved than hated, I think. There's a general idea for it, a general proposition. And most people recognize a loving way mm. is better than a hate-filled way. And if you're the one that speaks love into a situation or grace into a situation, people will recognize that's oh, that's a bit different. Yeah. That's not like those other people that are always angry. Yeah. yeah that's a bit different. I might think a bit more about what that bloke said. Mm. And if we're pointing people to the kingdom of God in doing that, wow. Mm. That's what's important. Now you can do that in whatever career you happen to find yourself. Any situation in life. Mm. Amongst a gang of mates, you know. Flaming someone else on Instagram. Mm. If you're the one who says, hang on a minute, we shouldn't do that. How would you like it if someone said that about you? If you're that person, if you're that girl who stands up for that other girl, Mm. rather than piling on with everybody else, sometimes you'll be misunderstood, but God will know, and you'll know, and that girl will know. And the love that you will feel eventually from reaching out and loving others is like nothing else on earth.
0: Yeah. Stephen, again, a beautifully described proposition about the issue. And I, I just can't help but think of the verses of, of Scripture as, as we've been listening to the story of your life and for you to tell how it is that you found your voice how you found your vocation, and I used the term before, the intrusion of faith into your life. I can't help but think of the passage that David says, you know, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for 20-odd years of friendship, Um, but more than that, I want to thank you for the things that you've done in the name of the Lord whether it has been as a broadcaster or as a parliamentarian or as the national CEO of the peak body of the schools that I've been part of or whether it's now as the leader of, of uh, Hope Media, the things that God has given you to say and to proclaim, it's been a blessing and I continue to pray that God will give you strength for the task that he's called you to. Thank you for your time.
1: Well, thank you, my friend. You, you, you're a good friend and you're a great leader and I have always enjoyed your company. You know that. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm delighted you can be the shepherd of young lives and um, look after people in the important role that you currently have. Um, so bless you and your family and I hope that everyone listening at least will consider God might be breaking through. Amen. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Stephen.